Brilliant. Well, it's, it's amazing to be with you. I must admit, the, the prospects of being live um, gives you kind of a, a memory and a foretaste of what one day it can be like when we can actually be together. But uh, yeah, as Nemi said, you know, over the last uh, few weeks, we've been looking at encounters with Jesus through the lens of hope. And um, I don't think it takes anybody to suggest that hope's felt in something of a relatively short supply um, over the last year or so. But when we look at Jesus' life, you know, we look at what he said, what he did. Gosh, sorry, that's like central all over again, isn't it? But um, but the very reason that, uh, you know, Jesus came, sorry, um, really is like singing that's, that, that hall at the front, isn't it? Um, but the very reason he came was to bring us hope. That's what Jesus came for. That's what he did. Um, you know, he came to appoint us to a, a secure future without fear, you know, independent of circumstance, uh, because he loves us. And, you know, although many of us probably would say we know that God loves us, that's it's challenging to hold on to sometimes. And I don't know about you, but I found 2021 uh, felt like a bit of a false start. You know, it was it felt like a very long and dark winter. Um, but over the last few weeks, um, it's I've realized it's still light at 6 p.m. You know, and I went for a walk this morning and the crocuses were covering the meadows. Um, you know, and we know the vaccine rollouts being successful and, you know, we're daring uh, to hope of something for a summer. But all of those things, all of those hopes that we put our expectations in, they're far too feeble and fragile um, to build our hope on um, or anything else for that matter. So this morning we're going to look at some uh, verses from Luke 5. Um, Luke 5, uh, 17 to 26. It might come up on the screen. But I'll try and read slowly um, to be clear. So Luke 5, uh, starting verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting, were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralysed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then Jesus perceived their thoughts and he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man that was paralysed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home and immediately he rose up before them and picked up where he'd been lying on and went home glorifying God and amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying we have seen extraordinary things today which is probably a bit of an understatement but um but to set the scene here, Jesus has begun his he's just begun his public ministry and he's sitting in a house surrounded by people and it says that the power of the Lord was with him such that he was able to heal, heal the sick. You know, I mean, no wonder he drew a crowd. And so as we read, we've got this picture of Jesus in there talking and teaching. 
and he's she's suddenly a bit interrupted you know and at first there's a bit of dust from above and then there's a few clumps of dried mud and pieces of first century tile uh, begin to fall down and i imagine in my head i imagine he does do i pause or do i just plow on you know i imagine it could be a bit awkward um, and then, you know, and he looks up and first voice he sees some fingers through the ceiling and then some hands, then a face, and then maybe a few faces. And I imagine as the hole got, got longer and wider and more human shaped, it was probably quite clear what was gonna happen next. And Luke paints such a, a factual, serene picture. Um, but it must've been a pretty chaotic spectacle, I imagine at least, um, you know, dust and mud everywhere, you know, the roof owner, must have been pulling the hair out a little bit, you know, and I bet a few at the back of the crowd were just loving it. But as the stretcher was lowered down, there must have been an element of anticipation. You know, after all, that's why they're all following Jesus around in the first place. And obviously why the roof seemed the only viable option. But what would happen next? You know, all eyes were on Jesus. What would he say? How would he react? Now, I would expect if I was Jesus, which clearly I'm not, but if I was in that scenario, I'd imagine he'd make some reference to the gaping hole in the roof or speak to the man and say, OK, right, let's get you fixed up. But he doesn't say that. He actually is quite, you know, oddly, he, I mean, it's not odd, but it seems odd relative to the scenario. He says, friend, your sins are forgiven. So why does he say that? You see, anybody else looking in on that scene, anybody else there will have seen a lame man lying on the mat in the middle of a room surrounded by people. But Jesus didn't see a lame man. He saw a sinner. He saw a sinner helpless and in need of forgiveness. And you see, this story actually isn't really about a lame man. It's a story about a sinner who happens to be unable to walk. And that's the point that Jesus is making, that this physical disability is a representation of a much deeper and more significant spiritual problem. Because you see, every need that you have right now, your greatest need is to know that your sin is dealt with. Or if you're a Christian, to remember that your sin is dealt with. You see, the needs that we feel are very often not our greatest needs. You know, and knowing forgiveness will always be our greatest need. And so, you know, and that is greater than your need for a, a job or a promotion at work. It's greater uh, than your need to have a partner or a family. It's greater than your need of X more thousands you think you need in your bank account. Because you see, health, family, work, wealth, all of these are ultimately temporary and they die with us. And, you know, for all those people in Jesus' life that he healed, there were many, many more that he didn't. And everyone that Jesus healed still died of something. You see, but the consequences of sin echo into eternity. And, it's, you know, and we are helpless to do anything about it ourselves. Uh, the theologian John MacArthur summarizes, summarizes this bit well. He says, he says this, he says, what the gospel announces is something that the physical healings merely symbolized, something more vital, more lasting, more momentous, and more real than temporary relief from the pains of earthly affliction. The gospel gives, gives us the only true abiding remedy for sin and all its guilt and repercussions. 
You see, a man arrived lame and he skipped home. And that is that is totally spectacular. But greater than that, he arrived guilty and left free and forgiven. And that's what this story is really about. But let's get back into it, because it's actually if we look at a bit more detail, this is when it starts to get interesting. Because at the beginning, it says that the Pharisees are sitting right there in front of Jesus. They're the they're the the the, the Jewish experts. They're the the teachers of the law that would uh, that were very pedantic. And to them, Jesus declaring that this man's sins were forgiven was one of the most provocative things he could have said. Because you see, in Jewish tradition, only God could forgive sins. According to their expectation, not even the promised Messiah was expected to do that. So Jesus wasn't just claiming to be the Messiah. He was he was going even further than that. He was claiming to be God himself. And naturally, they think to themselves, hang on, did what did he just say? Which, to be honest, seems a pretty reasonable thing, in my mind at least, to think. But, you know, Jesus pulls out his uh, telepathy, that telepathy trick again. And in verse 21, he says, like we just read, you know, but when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question your heart? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk? But that you may know the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man, pick up your bed and go home and we know what happened next. And he's almost like he's saying to them, look, I know what you're thinking. It is shocking. And it's not easy to accept, but so that you guys know that I am serious and I have the authority that I am claiming. So you know how serious I am. He says to the man, walk. Now, why, why, why does authority matter? Because Jesus, you know, authority is the key word in, that, in, that, in those few verses. And you see, well, when it comes to authority, authority matters when it comes to sin, because it's something... We are powerless to do anything about. We can't live out the perfect behaviours and thoughts that God requires us to in our own strength. You know, no matter how hard we try, no matter how good we try and be, how much we try to control our thoughts or our urges, we fail. It's impossible. And you see, we are as unable and powerless as that man lying on his mat before Jesus. And this is the whole parallel. You see, just as you can't, just as this man can't walk, he so he is paralyzed in his sin. And similarly, just as much as this man can't walk, we are paralyzed in our sin. So when Jesus tells the man to get up and walk, what he's really saying is, I have the, the power and authority over sin that you don't have. It's ridiculous though, isn't it? Because I think we think about ourselves for a moment, we act as if we do have the power, don't we? We get busy trying harder. I won't do it again. I won't do it again until we fail again. And then that cycle continues. And sometimes we might try and ignore it. Maybe we try and bury it or distract ourselves. But we know it doesn't work. Just like pushing something to the back of the cupboard doesn't remove it from the kitchen. You know, how many of us have lain in bed and out of nowhere experience that kind of wave of guilt or suddenly are reminded of things we've said or replay over in our head the things that we've done over a lifetime ago 
that we wish we hadn't done. It's because, you see, sin can't be ignored and our best efforts don't work because it doesn't deal with our underlying need to know forgiveness and a clean conscience. Our hearts need to hear God say, you know, despite all you've done, despite all you've said, I've seen it all and yet I still love you and I forgive you. And it's in a demonstration of his power over sin and here in this story that Jesus is almost front running the cross. It's the same principle. You know, he's saying your sin, I can deal with it. I created you to know and live in hope of a clean conscience, no matter what you've done. Not because it didn't happen, but because my forgiveness is absolute and I have the power. It's why later on, um, on the cross, Jesus cried out as he died, it is finished. It's why the resurrection is so significant, because it's a declaration and a proof that there is no more wrath. Listen, there is a joy of blamelessness, which can only be felt by a soul that is fully forgiven by God. And it's an exhilaration of knowing and feeling that forgiveness. Do you know that joy of blamelessness? Do you know, if you know Jesus, you are clean. If you've asked God for help, if you said to him, oh God, I don't want to sin anymore. I can't do it myself. He declares you clean, perfect, spotless, forgiven. And so as we finish, what is our response to what we've read this morning? You see, whenever we, I don't think it's just me, but whenever we hear a story, we get drawn in, you know, and it invites us to imagine. We assume a role or roles, you know, usually characters that we admire or we want to be like. What about this one? I think naturally most of us would like to imagine ourselves as a disciple in the crowd, you know, someone who's diligently followed Jesus around or maybe one of the compassionate friends who digs through the roof. And they're great positions to occupy in the story. You know, and the Holy Spirit leads us to assume both those positions in following Jesus and putting our energies into pursuing God's kingdom. But that's not the place that we're meant to see ourselves this morning. The place that we're meant to see ourselves is that man lying on his mat, paralyzed before Jesus. That's the character that this story is pointing us to assuming. And it's an uncomfortable position to assume. It's undignified. It's helpless and humbling. It means acknowledging our neediness. But what we've seen is that neediness is a prerequisite for forgiveness. You have to admit your need. You know, he won't force it on us. And so to follow Jesus is to embrace neediness and helplessness. You know, things that our culture finds, you know, completely intolerant. Weakness and neediness are shamed, shamed and frowned upon. And yet it's the state of heart that responds, that God responds to as an invitation for his healing. For some of you, your abilities are your biggest hindrances. You know, your sense of competence can so easily spill into self-dependence and pride, which keeps you from the very grace your soul so desperately needs. So I guess the question is, how are you with being needy this morning? How do you embrace dependency? Or do you try and hide and avoid it? 
or deny it and pretend it doesn't exist. It's not comfortable. It costs us. Most of us take a lot of identity from being useful or a positive sense of our own relative morality or being intelligent or being light. You know, things that give us a sense of value or control. But when it comes to the things that really matter, the things that determine our eternity, they count for nothing. And they're akin to that man like helplessly before Jesus. And so what he says to Smile says, come to me needy and find forgiveness. Come weak and be healed. You know, that's his message for us this morning. You know, neither is forgiveness a one time thing. It's a daily moment by moment thing for all of us. Maybe especially if we've been a Christian a long time, we keep saying to ourselves, we should know better as if we're surprised when we struggle. It's almost as like we decide to trust Jesus for the initial salvation part and, okay, you know, decide, okay, thanks, Jesus, I've got it from here. And that's crazy. It's why Paul reminded Timothy to be strong in the grace, because Paul knew our temptation to feel guilty would be to try and fix ourselves out of, out of his provision of grace. And so if you are a Christian this morning, guilt has no place in your life. It has no power over you. Not because its whispers aren't likely very true to an extent, but because the sin is forgiven. And so next time you feel that pang, that regret, or you beat yourself up, or you speak uh, condemnatory words over yourself, put in your imagination, put yourself back on that mat, lying flat on your back, looking up at Jesus, unable to move, Meet his gaze and listen to him and say, let him say, my son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. And then pick up your mat. And you see, that is real joy. See, true freedom is found solely from being wholly needy before a God who loves you enough to die for you and receiving the forgiveness of that. And like we said, there is a joy of dependency, a joy of vulnerability, a joy and weakness when we lie on our backs before Jesus. And you see, God made you to enjoy a holiness given to you by him, a tangible joy of knowing blamelessness as we walk through life. Do you know how that feels? Do you feel, if you've accepted Jesus, do you know how it feels to be holy in his sight? Because it's a freedom that he invites each of us to this morning. Some of us, have forgotten that. Some of us still live with far too much guilt that God said is done with. Others of us have may have never even known it. Some of us have never even asked God for help. But these things are things that we believe the Holy Spirit can reveal to our hearts this morning. So I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your, your glorious grace, Father. We thank you for a reminder of our paralysis before you in respect to our sin. And Father, we thank you that we lie before you needy and dependent, and yet you have the power and authority to, give, for, to forgive our sin and, and meet every need that we have. And so, Father, I thank you that despite any circumstance we feel, despite everything that we, we are anxious about, God, that our greatest need 
is secured by you, Lord, and that that power and authority is reserved for you. And Father, we praise you this morning that you love us, that we can trust you. And so, Father, I pray that where we are still far too dependent on ourselves, Lord, where we've forgotten the joy of, of, of walking in blamelessness because of what you've done, Lord. Holy Spirit, we invite you to bring your revelation to bear upon our hearts. We love you, Jesus. We're so grateful that you're the one who stands above us as we lay paralyzed. Amen.